welcome to Across the Line on this Football Friday. We get to welcome our good friend on the show. Ryan Phoenix is here, Chris. I know. Really? It, it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get him on the show for so long. So it's uh, it's great that we've managed to, to get him on our, on our podcast finally. Uh, Ryan was, was kind enough to share with us, you know, his roots. And uh, it was quite surprising, even for us, who, you know, who would call Ryan a friend for eight to nine years now. But who knew where he started? And it's, it's been a crazy journey that he's been on in the football industry. And of course, we bring him back today because he's come out with an article that has made some shockwaves in the football community here in the Philippines. Yeah, very timely um, article that he's posted um, this week. And it's certainly reverberated throughout the whole football community. So we, we start to unpack that a little bit. And then he goes into real depth about um, that particular um, piece that he wrote. But like you said, there's so many things about Ryan that we, we didn't realise. We've known him for the longest time and yet um, his rather unusual way of becoming a football journalist is uh, is announced to us. And uh, we, we were quite shocked, weren't we, with, with, with how um, how he started in the, in the football journalism industry. So um, I think the fans will find that interesting. And um, also, it's just great to, to have someone who is a genuine football fan come on the show and talk about um, the state of affairs in, in Philippine football because a lot of people have opinions but not many people have uh, the, the, the level of insight that he's able to provide having worked at so many different levels across uh, across the Philippine football landscape so it's great to have him on the show and, and have him say his piece because it's uh, it's definitely been a long time coming. Yeah it's, it, you know I, I was I'm lucky enough to be I've been able to share the commentary booth with him for like eight nine years and finally it's it seems weird that it's only now that he's on the show but Finally, we've got an opportunity to speak with him and he's got some plenty of great stories and some great insight on the Philippine football world. So if you like this one, you know where to find us, YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, share it to a friend. It's the perfect way to let those platforms know that you appreciate the content that we provide and um, it, it helps us um, get a little bit of a boost and get us out there to more people. So we do appreciate it if you could subscribe and share us with a friend. Um, find us on, on our social media as well, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. We're active there. Uh, hit us up, send us your questions, your comments, whatever it is. We'd be happy to interact with you. And without further ado, we've got our good friend Ryan Phoenix here on the show on this Football Friday. Enjoy. You're a difficult man to track down, Ryan Phoenix, but you've made it to the show finally. All it's taken is a global pandemic and seven months into that global pandemic for you to free up to make it here on Across the Line. Thank you for gracing us with your presence, sir. Thank you very much, Jing. Thank you very much, Chris, for having me. I've always been a fan of the show. I'm always giving it a download and a listen, especially those episodes, Jing and Chris, where Chris wasn't talking about himself. Those are my favorites. Those are difficult <laughs> episodes to find, by the way. I can't think of many, actually, that aren't about me. So um, <laughs> maybe it's good that we've got you on the show today so we can actually talk about something other than myself. <laughs> and number two, you know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing my name slandered all over many times on the show. So I'm going to make it a point here to come up here and clear my name. Perfect. Perfect. Please do. Please say it correctly, Ryan. <laughs> no, no, it's Ryan Phoenix, it's correct. But, but, thank you, but thank you very much, guys, for inviting me. It's a, it's a big honor to be here. I've always thought to myself, boy, if, if I do get invited to the, to the Across the Line podcast, then probably it means that I've made it in Philippine football. So here I am. 
I'm very honored. It's so ridiculous. So ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> of, of course, Chris, uh, you know Ryan a long time. I, I think we all go back uh, quite a few years. It's, it's nice to finally get everybody together, you know, not just as you as a journalist and as, as a, a commentator, uh, writer, but uh, as, a, as a friend to, to both myself and Chris, you know, it would be nice to just sit down and chat for, for a little while, catch up on a few things. So Chris, when was the last time you you, you saw Ryan? Uh, last time I saw Ryan, I mean, face to face, I'd imagine was probably on an academy field in Alabang at some stage last year. I'd imagine that was that was probably it. I mean, um, his kid plays uh, with Loyola, so we, we often see each other at Alabang Country Club. But in terms of in a kind of professional capacity, it was probably probably the cup final. I would say um, that was the last time. I think he and I had a sort of proper discussion about football-related things. Um, I gave him the scoop that I'd be leaving. Um, I, I, I told him in the, in the car park of Rizal that I would be, uh, this would be my final game. Um, and I think if I'm right, I think that's probably the last time we had a sort of professional conversation that was, that was put on record. I don't really recall um, speaking to you after the, the Asian Cup qualification or in the build-up to that. Um, obviously took a little bit of a hiatus which maybe we'll come on to um, later but um, yeah I mean correct me if I'm wrong that's probably the last time I spoke to you in, in, a, in a professional capacity yeah that's where scoops are made and found in the car park <laughs> but, but yeah that was the last time that uh, we talked to Chris but yeah the, the, the place to be right now I think is in the youth tournaments because we see each other almost every week when when the sevens uh, tournament of Anton was was being held, mm -hmm. and I think in Alabang as well, when the was it the YFL right? It's YFL. So when when Loyola would beat Kaya always in the youth tournaments, would <laughs> always be on Chris's tail. But that doesn't happen, and you know it's always a fun game with the kids. Man, so what, the last time you guys spoke was 2018 in an official capacity. Is that correct? 2018, right? Cup final? Sounds about right. Sounds about right, yeah. Wow. And you outscooped the media officer of Kaya. How dare you, Ryan? By talking to Chris in the parking lot. I feel ashamed of myself, to be honest. He, he, he accosted me, right? <laughs> and then, you know, his journalistic skills came to the fore. He, 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 he coerced it out of me, uh, <laughs> like all good journalists should do. Correct this, this is what makes Ryan special, right? Um, I, I came on to Ryan in around that time, 2000, actually... 2012, right? Around the similar time when we started commentating games to, together, maybe, maybe even a year ahead of time, I read your articles on uh, Interaction. Um, and there was one also, I think, from your blog. I'm not sure, but I, I remember looking into it and thinking like, wow, there's somebody who knows how to speak about football, right? Because most of the time, it was like very generic stuff that they would write, right? You could tell that they didn't know the jargon, they didn't understand the, the, the game, really. They were just sent there to write about it. But there was this guy, Ryan Phoenix, who actually knew about it. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. I, should, I, I, I got interested immediately about trying to get into writing football, which eventually I, I did get to write. And under the same banner with you, Ryan. Thanks, Jing. But, you know, let me tell this story. This is a story I don't know if many people know. But it's the story of how I, quote, unquote, was, uh, was discovered. And so I got, how I got started in writing football. And believe it or not, Chris had a great, uh, big part to play in, uh, in that. I don't know if he remembers it. So in 2010, when Rick Olivares was the media officer, and he obviously runs the blog, and when the Ascos went uh, to, the, to the semifinals, 
So he was the only source of you know, credible information, Rick Olivares' blog. Uh, Beecher, Beecher's Brew, I think it was, it was called. That's right. So he, he, had, he, had, his, he had his contest. Um, at stake was a photocopy of the team sheet of uh, the Ascals and a souvenir program. And all you had to do was uh, write uh, an article basically on, on football, not necessarily about Philippine football. So the moment I saw it, I said, I got to have my hands on that. That photocopy team sheet, not even original. It was a photocopy. So I said, you know, that's going to be worth a lot of money for sure. And, you know, it, it's, as a fan, as a fan of Philippine football, um, it was something that I really wanted to have my hands on. So I wrote um, something called um, The Ascals Come to Four. It's in, it's, I think it's still in Rick's blog somewhere, December 2010. And wow. that was when, yeah, that was when, so, so, so Rick posted it and got some feedback. And so I was emboldened by the fact that, you know, I was, I was getting read by, by some people in the football uh, community. So I wrote another one. And this was the second one. This was, I think, February 2011. And this one got the attention of Chris because I don't know if Chris remembers it, but it was a time wherein the Ascals were really on the rise. And there was a lot of talk about having um, bandwagon fans. And I have to say, I am also a foot, uh, Philippine football bandwagon fan, but, but a lot of bandwagon fans coming on to the, to the, to the sport, which is, you know, just fine, right? I mean, you just get new fans in. But what I wrote about in that article was um, bandwagon players coming on. So the title of that article was Galactic Ascals. And the, the premise of that was that um, something like, where were you when Philippine football was nowhere to be found? And suddenly now when, you, when, when, when you're the hottest ticket in town, suddenly you want to jump on the bandwagon. Mm. So the title of that was the Galactic Ascals. And I, I remember on Twitter, um, Chris asked Rick, who is this guy, Ryan Phoenix? So... I said to myself, oh, wow, you know, it might have struck a chord somewhere. You remember that, Chris? Yeah, I do remember it. Yeah. So, so he, I think he, from that time, he followed me on Twitter, which was bragging rights, Jing, I tell you. <laughs> Chris, the great Chris Gretchen is following me. So anyway, so, so, so after that, um, um, I was asked by J. Mark Tordesilia uh, to write in his blog, which was firekinito.com. Yeah which was primarily a basketball blog, but he wanted to, because football was the hottest ticket there, he wanted to have like a different sport in the blog and all this stuff. So I wrote some articles there. And J. Mark, he was promoted, or he, well, he became the editor, the sports editor of Interaction. That's right. So of course, of course, he wanted to bring in people that he trusted. So I was um, asked to write, uh, for interaction, and that's I think where you you saw me. And yeah. after interaction was the commentating part, but I think we'll go get to that later. But I mean, basically, I owe everything that uh, uh, where I am now, basically to to Rick Olivares because he he was the one who gave me the platform, and to J Mark because he he asked me to write in uh, in uh, interaction. And and Chris Greatwich for uh, inquiring about your identity. I guess that, that might have turned some heads as well. If Chris Greatwich is having a look, it, uh, it's got to be legit. 
For absolutely, sure. absolutely. For sure. Ryan, like there was, you've got to understand between the years of 2004 and 2010 November time, you know, any article that was written about the Yaskars was anything to do with, you know, girlfriends or, uh, you know, celebrity status or, you know, just, just non-topical stuff. Um, so to actually have something with a little bit of substance, um, some perspective um, to, to really paint the picture, um, you know, straight away, I, I obviously gravitated to that, which is why, you know, Rick's work was always something that I was always looking forward to whenever he would post stuff on his, on his blog. And then when the new kid on the block showed up writing this, this, uh, this, this article with, you know, they said with a strange name that no one could pronounce, it just made me think, you know, I, I've got to at least find out what this guy's all about, you know, and, um, Refreshing. It was really refreshing, Jing. Honestly, that was that was that was the word I would use to describe it because, you know, when you grow up in England and you know these types of you have you have your fluff pieces, you have your stuff in the tabloids, but you also have your, you know, your proper journalists who write real true, uh, in-depth um, pieces about real issues that are going on within the game, and and that's the type of work that I gravitate towards, and and that's why people like Rick and like Ryan. Um, you know, just just really pique my interest whenever I read read stuff of, of that that quality, that caliber, and um, you know, I, I think most of the Filipino fans enjoy that too. So it's a shame that there's not too many of you around anymore. But um, you know, it didn't have a sort of snowball or domino effect. Um, but it's great to see you up and up and writing again because uh, for sure the Philippine Philippine football fans have missed it. Re refreshing, I think, is 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 the perfect word for it. You know, like you you see it. And as a football person, you're like, wow, it's nice to be able to see that kind of, to, uh, of quality of work. And during this time, uh, at around 2011, 2010, I was writing for a, a UK-based website. And our job was essentially to look for other news articles that are already been put out there by reputable sources, paraphrase it, give it your own twist, and put it back up on the blog site. So that meant that I had to do a lot of hunting in The Guardian, in The Times, even in, in places like Marsa, uh, is, I, I think that's how you say it, but it's Spanish um, sources and, and this and that. But I felt like I, I saw a semblance of English writing in your work, Ryan, like stuff that I would read in The Guardian and The Times and, and quality stuff. Is that where you drew some of your inspiration for writing? For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I think the, the inspiration for me there was to write something that I think was not really just any sort of match recap or any sort of um, things that are easy to do. Um, and also, I believe that um, there was, at that time at least, there was um, a lack of uh, people who really knew the game. Uh, no disrespect to those who, who, who did know the game that time. Maybe they didn't write about it yet. But generally, the articles coming out then was... Um, whether Phil Young Husband is, was going to go into showbiz. You know, that was January of 2011 after the miracle of Hanoi and how good-looking the Asgals were, except for Chris Gatewitch. So, you know, all these, all these, you know, things, articles are coming out. And, and I was thinking, I, I think the Filipino fans deserve a bit more uh, in terms of uh, in-depth uh, reporting or maybe some, some, some stories. And... I guess I guess I found my niche there because afterwards I didn't really go too much into like the post game report like who scored in the second minute and then equalized in the 89th and then 
and yeah. someone got sent off. So it was more like what happened in between and how did they uh, reach this point. Analysis. So, analysis, a little bit of that. Well, that's primarily it. And then also um, a bit more like educating. I don't want to sound like I'm the professor or I'm the expert in it, but somehow educating those who didn't know too much of the, about a game. And I think there are a lot of people who didn't know too much about a game because when, we, when, I, when I get the feedback, like, um, uh, what ano nga yung offside? So the, those very, very basic uh, uh, terms they don't understand. So I, I guess it's primarily also about that. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's a nice reminder that we're still a baby as a football nation. Huh? When, when you talk about discussions like that, you know, like terminologies, basic stuff. Um, sometimes you forget when you're, when you're living in the football world that it's only been 10 years, you know, I mean, longer for those that have been around um, before us, but it's only really exploded to the level, to the extent that we know it for 10 years, right? So we've got a lot of catching up to do. But just, yeah. just with that, Jean, can I just interject? Like one of the questions, both of you might be able to answer this because I don't really know, but in, in the other sports, for example, basketball, um, are there sort of more in-depth pieces or articles written in the general news outlets or are they generally just more fluff pieces um tabloid fodder that you would find on you know in, in, in other publications for other sports or is that quite a rarity here in the philippines to have someone writing in the manner that you do um in, in not just football but in other sports as well i would say personally um i don't know how you feel about it ryan but um I think J-Mark was special in that regard. The editor-in-chief of Interaction at the time was allowing writers to express themselves in that manner, I think was rather uncommon and really taking advantage of the online platform because you could never do it on print, right? Nobody would ever give you any space on that sports section to provide some sort of opinion piece uh, analysis on a match. No, that doesn't exist. It's only match reports. What's, what happened? What's next? That's all you're going to read, right? And it's not even that detailed. Um, Most, yeah, I would Mm -hmm. say. Um, So not too much in-depth analysis, I would say. But once the the online platform started started opening up, that's when writers had the opportunity to uh, indulge a little bit in what they saw, the nuances of the game, you know? Um, Yeah, so I would say it was a special time. I second the motion, Jing, because J-Mark actually allowed, his kind of writing in basketball, was also not about match reporting. He's really more like the other side of, of, uh, of uh, basketball news and also maybe some analysis on why um, they fielded this guy instead of that guy. So, and the online platform actually really, as you said, uh, provided a venue for all of us uh, writers to just express ourselves. And I think um, you, you find that more in the non-traditional uh, outlets rather than in the traditional ones. Talking about uh, uh, newspaper, of course, a TV. Maybe they don't have enough time. Maybe they're not given the opportunity. Maybe it doesn't sell as much as the the uh, five things you learned when Kaya beat Ceres, for example. So th- that's that's not really uh, a match report because you you have five things that you learn basically in the analysis part of things. So and also, I, I if I may just also add. Um, in the media room, in the press room, and all, all respect to everybody there. I mean, they're really, you know, good journalists. But 
you can you can see right away as you were saying uh, earlier jing those who were there to write match reports and those who were there who really knew the game and understood uh, what was happening because of the questions that were being asked to the uh, to the people sitting in front and i'm sure chris has been at the receiving end of some questions that i don't think he'd like to answer because uh, for one reason or the other it may not really matter too much in the overall picture of things. Um, just to give you an example before, um, one thing I don't like uh, to hear, a journalist ask uh, uh, a player or a captain or a coach in post-match con post conference is the first question, so uh, coach, what are your thoughts on the game? That, that, that's really so, so lame. That's so lazy. I mean, come on. And, and, and Coach Simon McMenemy had a perfect response to that. Because he was, he was uh, always, when you ask him that question, you're going to get a response and he's going to say, did you watch the game? And if you did, I think you can do better than that. You know, it's, it's challenging the media. So I guess, in a way, I digress a bit, but I guess in, in a way, it's what's good for the game. You have to improve and you have to educate, not just maybe the, the people, but maybe also some of, some of the media. 100% understand where you're coming from. You know, you, you feel like you're duty bound after a certain point, you know, like, oh my God. Some of these questions are atrocious. Like we got to be in the room just to to help these players and coaches out. You know, what I mean, they just had ninety minutes of stress. And they're going to be asked stupid questions. It's tough. But man, uh, Chris was alluding to it earlier that um, you've come out from the wilderness a little bit here. You've popped up with a nice article that has been put on the Asian game, which is um, uh, it's it's more of a, a continental platform really than just a Filipino one. It it talks about everything that's that's. Uh, going on all over Asia, and they've given you an opportunity to talk about the state of the game of the Philippines over the last 10 years. And uh, you, you've given us your, your thoughts, your bird's eye view of how things uh, are at the moment. Um, for those that have not had the opportunity to, to read your article, do you have like, uh, I don't know, bullet points of some things or, or the, the, the juicy parts which you think uh, we should talk about a little bit? Yeah, basically it was... A, uh a longish recap on what happened from the miracle of Hanoi until the present time. And I guess it's, it's kind of easy to just highlight the difference now between what happened after Hanoi, which was 2011 to, I think, 14, 15, where we were really at the peak of uh, footballing awareness, footballing popularity, and until now, recent times wherein it's not really the number three sport, I mean, Maybe it is, but, you know, by, by, it's not really the most popular sport now in the Philippines, right? I mean, uh, it's lagging certainly behind basketball and volleyball. So it's very easy to highlight that. But I, I think in between there are lots of highlights. Um, we've been to the Asian Cup as well. Uh, we have a lot of, um, a lot of um, I think, triumphs as well. And not just domestically, but also we've been to the semifinals of the Suki Cup. So there are a lot of things there. Um, unfortunately, what, will, what people will remember is that uh, now, at the present time, which is maybe football isn't really you know, um, top of mind for many sports fans, but maybe it's a clean slate. Maybe you can start from scratch again. I think that's, that's maybe one of the things that we can take away from, from football being at this uh, quite low point in its 10-year history so far. Is that, is that, you think that's a fair assessment, Chris? Yeah, I mean, his article was obviously in, in 
much greater detail and, and elaborated a lot more on, on various issues, which I'm sure we'll unpack in, in, in a moment. But um, I think that's a fair summary. I think one of the things that the article really hit home is, is the, you know, is, is that the further any excitement that, that was garnered from that Suzuki Cup 2010 campaign and all of this, the things that came straight after that, obviously the influx of the, um, uh, you know, quality players coming into the league. Um, it was you know, pumped full of money. It was on television, which both of you two were, were beneficiaries of. Um, you know, you've got your, your, your handsome mugs on television and, and we're commentating on, um, you know, what I consider really, really exciting games at McKinley Hill. I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, people fail to remember is just how exciting those games were in, in McKinley in stark contrast, obviously, what we've had in, in the last couple of years where fan involvement and that sort of fan experience has, has been lacking. Um, but, I mean, I really want you to jump down and nail down some of the key parts that you felt in, in the article were, were key key moments really in the downward spiral of, of the league like what, what, what were some of the things what were some of the key watershed moments do you feel that that, that led to this sort of downturn um, in, in fortunes for the domestic game yeah um, when you talk to Anton Del Rosario he'll be he'll be the first one to tell you that the gains that we had in um, 2010 were all but lost and um, maybe in some ways he's right but I guess um, to answer your question I think if we had won maybe 2014-2012 Suki Cup would have the, the one thing I wrote there in the article was that it would have probably given the sport another boost in terms of uh, popularity in terms of um, at, uh, maybe sponsors money, maybe interest as well. It's very important. So because we lost, there was this mentality, of course, of like um, we lost again. And then we lost yet another time. Um, there was no tangible like trophy to speak of after um, so many years of trying and trying and trying. Of course, as football fans, we know that it's not easy to win silverware, but um, that's one thing I think. The maybe the inability of uh, to win, to win, and in public's eyes, and maybe as importantly in the sponsors' eyes, it's actually very important to to win. Yeah. I mean, not to put the blame and put all the pressure on the Ascals to win, but it, it whether we like it or not, that's that's one key key performance indicator, KPI of uh, of. Uh, companies whether they want to invest or not that's one thing so here's one yeah. thing i'd like to challenge challenge you with that then brian because yeah. if you actually look at the 2010 campaign we only won one game right so so obviously it was the the, the main one you know it was the game in hanoi in front of forty thousand people that you know tv had, had, had you know, made sure that they, they promoted it well and people were, were tuned in to watch those games. But if you actually took a backwards step from that and realised well, we only drew two games, we won one and we lost two in a five-game campaign, you know, we weren't winners. We weren't winners, really. We, we won a game that was pretty high profile, but we weren't, quote-unquote, winners. We didn't come away with any silverware from that competition. So 
you know, was it a case of that was the, the spark that ignited the initial interest because we won a, a, a key game? We, we had some aspects to the group that was of interest to the public um, at large, i.e. different characters, interesting personalities, this unique mix of um, local guys and, and international guys. Um, I think it can appeal to, to a number of different people. Um, but ultimately, we didn't win. So, you know, how, how does that sort of tie in with, with that particular narrative? Yeah. I think the expectations, I think, is also very important. That time, no one expected uh, to ask us to do anything in 2010. So even if you had just won one game, albeit a very important one, it was enough. But then when you go to 2012 and 2014, and you have like a lot of uh, maybe interest, maybe a lot of um, maybe sponsors' money as well riding on that one, and then you don't win, um, somehow the mood gets dampened a little bit. And then you lose another time, and then it gets dampened a little bit. Again, it's not to put the blame on the Askas. This is very unfair. I mean, they're not expected to win every time. But I guess you talk about... But the expectation was there. That's what you're saying. The expectation was there. Sorry, we lost a bit of your audio there, Chris. Sorry, so, so what you're saying is that the, the, the expectations in 2010, um, 12. 12, 2014, were elevated and as what led to that, perhaps, that negative um, perspective on, on whether or not the Azcals were true winners in the public eye. It was, and especially, yeah, and especially because you've got um, now expectations riding high, very, very high as well. Mm, I guess you have to understand also that it's not like one thing that led to the decline. And downfall is a very big word. It's a decline in terms of popularity, in terms of interest. It's not just one single thing. It was a mixture of maybe the Ascals not winning, maybe the league um, could have been marketed better in the end. So all of these things maybe contributed to being football being where it is right now. Um, could, could we have done it better? Perhaps. But again, it's all hindsight, isn't it? It's quite interesting. You know, uh, I don't disagree that wins in 2012 and 2014 would change the landscape of Philippine football and that there would be interest. The interest and attention would definitely be there. The, 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 my, my, the thing that, that, that comes to mind, however, is Will we have suffered the same kind of mistakes on the domestic, in the domestic league, um, even with all that attention? In fact, it might have been even worse with all the attention, is, is something that perhaps I'm trying to get to, is that the league was a bit raw in that in terms of entertainment value per se, to, a, to an audience which was unfamiliar with the sport, I feel as if it wasn't delivered to the best um, best manner possible, you know, and I think that's what made ABS-CBN quite special in 2010 because when the whole fervor uh, happened, it was because after that win, they maximized the crap out of that. The whole interview in Hanoi, the, the video call, the getting you on the news channel immediately, um, circulating you in, in the news 
soon after that, getting them back on noontime shows when they got in. It's like everybody knew not only the result, but who these people were. In the five years that TV5 um, were, were putting on the matches, I, I recall seeing, for example, on a halftime show, the Misak special of him driving around in his taxi maybe five times. That goes to show that there's a disrespect to the individual who is watching all the games, right? The ratings might have been low, but clearly they weren't trying to create diehard fans in that, man, if, 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 I, if I'm creating a person who's watching all of these games and I'm putting on the same halftime special, that guy's going to shoot himself. You know what I mean? Like, what are, you, what are we doing? What am I watching? I, I'm going to stop watching this now. Um, so I feel as if, if you're not going to play to the personalities of the individuals, you're missing out on a huge deal. And I think that's where ABS did so well. Put them out there. The stars started shining. And then you put them in a league that is somewhat disorganized still because the, the previous version of it was just a weekend, weekend league. You put all this pressure on them. You put the TVs there and all of that. And the organization is not, to the, not up to scratch quite yet. And the, the individuals inside the teams are not too well known to the media. And they didn't take the effort to really dig into the, the interesting little nuggets there. And the people who missed out on getting to know these people at this special time in Philippine football. And I think that kind of snowballed into more problems, you know. So I think the success of the national team would have put a nice coat of paint over what would have been moldy walls, but it would have only lasted so long. And the capitulation of the entire industry, so to speak, where we are right now, where, where things are struggling, it might have been worse, you know, if, if there was so much more attention on how poorly some of the decisions were, 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 were done uh, during that time, you know, like there was a time where the league stopped for three weeks because of ASCAL preparation, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden we weren't on TV. I remember the TV5 guys being furious about that, that all of a sudden we can't, can't show our product for three weeks or whatever it was. That's unacceptable. You know what I mean? And that's a level of, of, of disorganization that if it was bigger, if there was a bigger microscope on us, man, we might not be able to recover from that, you know? So I don't know. It, there's some good and there's some bad, you know what I mean? But it is what it is now. And, and I, I don't disagree that it's in a place that is far from, if I, if I told you right after 2011 that I'm going to close your eyes and I'm going to wake you up in 10 years and I'm going to show you what Philippine football is and I showed you what it is now, it's impossible that you would have estimated that this is where we are now. You would have thought we're somewhere near, closer to the moon, right? For sure. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm blabbering a little bit, but that's what I'm, what, I, I, what I'm trying to say is that we could be in a, in a worse spot now because of uh, how things transpired. We're lucky that maybe we get to start from zero instead of negative five. Does that make sense? Which was the case, which was the case in 2000, before 2010, maybe. That's right. I think you were right. playing in, in Nomads, was it? With Nomads pitch, right? Yeah. Nomads. Nobody watching, right? All of a sudden, there's people in the stands and uh, they have expectations. So, you know, you can imagine that a weekend league is not going to be prepared to run like the PBA. Or for the PFL, that is right now, for that matter. Because the PFL surprise, surprise to many, is, is actually quite organized in terms of how, it's, uh, how the, the management is running it now because they've learned from the last three years. But the thing is, nobody gets to watch the games, unfortunately, because 
we're on live streaming to on a platform that 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 not too many people are aware of so there you go uh, i don't know how you feel about that what do you think about um that notion or that that viewpoint chris or me you ryan you're the guest come on you, you said you don't you don't want another episode where it's all about me so whenever you feel ready Ryan, <laughs> you interject buddy you you go ahead you take the mic i'm i'm i'm, I'm intimidated by the face of chris when you know he's waiting for the answer but <laughs> but yeah but it, it, but it's true it's true um yeah we i don't think we will disagree on the fact that uh, if we had won maybe things might have panned out a bit differently they might have you you're saying it might have prolonged the uh, worsened the agony or maybe exacerbated the problems that we have now but i think on the flip side i was hoping that more attention equals to more um pressure equals to more um uh, how shall i put it more pressure on people to perform well and better and run the things better because now you've got an even bigger bigger microscope under you so now you cannot afford to have as you said a three-week break just to have the ASCOS prepare and you have nothing to show in, in the slots that you 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 block the the tv slots for which should have been ufl games so I, I was really hoping maybe if you are under bigger pressure you might have to perform better maybe to a certain extent failure is not an option or maybe uh, doing well is not an option because it's a big, it's, it's not going to be too big. If, if you're talking about example, we had one. Let's, let's just uh, imagine and daydream for a, for a moment that, that Chris comes off the bench and scores the winner. Feasible. Uh, yeah. So I was talking about daydreaming, right? So, mm -hmm. but, 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 but yeah, so you, you, you have that scenario. Now you suddenly have Smart coming in with $200 million peso sponsorship, and then another company comes in with another million, a couple of million or so, and all these things become now, you're now having weekly shows on, on, on TV because suddenly Neil Etheridge is the next uh, uh, heartthrob. So, so you cannot now fail because you have so many things like that. But of course, this is just conjecture, right? Where we're just happy living in our daydreams. No, I like that. You know, it, it's true. It, maybe it would have put the, the pressure that was needed. Because I recall at the time that we were calling matches in, in TV5, it was kind of like, yeah, not too many people are watching. It's all right to kind of like not be on our absolute best all the time. At least in terms of like sometimes the production was a little bit lax. It's like it gave you that feeling that, okay, not everything is on the line all the time. And you're right. Maybe the pressure would have changed things, right? Yeah, I remember. I remember you. We, you and I had this discussion because we. I don't know if, if Chris knows this, but we we had our double header, which was on TV, and the main game was to start at I think five or six in the afternoon, which meant that the first game started at three or mm. three thirty, and that was in the best of times because we had actually one p.m. kickoffs, one thirty p.m. kickoffs, which was even terrible. And so the lesser popular teams would be placed in that uh, time slot. And Jing and I would be doing the first game, which was at maybe three o'clock in the afternoon and sweltering. And that was live on TV. 
and we're talking to each other and saying, I hope, you know, more, I hope some people watch this game at 3 o'clock because we're, not only our second division team is playing, it's 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. So I hope people are watching. But, but again, you have that, you, you sort of tend to relax a little bit because you just feel like, oh, it's maybe 1,000 people watching versus, for example, 100,000 people watching mm-hmm. you live. Then you've got to be on your A game, That's right. uh, you know, more than any other time. I guess and my, my point, take, no, go ahead, no, go ahead, Chris. You know what, Jing, uh, I, I hate to agree with you, but I feel as though had we had those, those, had that victory, had we had that Suzuki Cup championship, my feeling is if, if a smart comes in with 200 million, that just gets diverted, misappropriated, put in the wrong things, uh, and, and we would invariably fall from an even greater height. That, that's, that sounds awfully pessimistic of me, but the fact still remained that the infrastructure and the setup wasn't quite there at that time so had you know had the national team had gone on to deliver um the the ultimate trophy for this region which is the suzuki cup the holy grail i think exactly what what jing saying is true i think it would just masked over the cracks and we would invariably have found ourselves at this point at some stage further down the line um i think what jing was saying is correct i think you know now there seems to be, obviously the PFL has been going, was it thir- three years now, Jing? Four, is it the fourth season this now? This is the fourth, fourth season now, yeah. So I think there are things in place that are pretty good, right? It's just that there aren't any fans to go and watch and necessarily appreciate it, but there's a lot of infrastructures that are in place. Is it perfect? No, but it's, it's moving in the right direction. So when, whenever the next big meteor hits, hopefully there is a little bit more sustainability um, for any clubs to be able to capitalise on something that happens in, of that nature, so you know, you know, would I have benefited from it? Probably would have, Ryan. If I'm being honest, I probably would have been able to capitalise on it, money-wise, um, notoriety-wise. Yeah, I would have been p- perfectly placed, perfectly poised to, to have capitalised on that situation. Um, people of what you were saying earlier, people who came to the came to the party just at the right time, they would have been able to have capitalised. But but ultimately, you know. Would my kids, would your kids have been able to capitalise on it 10 years, 15 years down the line? I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. And I think, um, you know, we'll sort of come on to it in a minute because your article touched upon it. But I think there are certain infrastructures that are being put in place now. Certain clubs have them. Yes, obviously some clubs have fallen by the wayside, um, which meant that some of the good work that they have done previously has, has come undone. Um, but some of the clubs that are involved now, I think, have genuinely got the football community at heart. So, um you know, what, that's something that I really want to sort of highlight and sort of transition into the next part of, of your article, which really talked about that sort of sustainability factor. And one thing I want to talk, talk to you about, Jing, is actually in that meeting that Ryan and I had in the car park, um, when the interview came out, that was one of, his, one of his things that he really pinpointed for our probably in Alcantara Cup championship win was I think it was organizations win championships. That was his that was his big uh I think that was your strap liner. That was your that was like the uh, the the intro to the article. It was basically saying that the organization from top to bottom had had worked in such a manner that we were able to win that championship because of how well organized the, the club was from top to bottom. Um I know this is something that you spoke about, Ryan, in in, in the article. Um so what, what's your take on that? Because 
you also you highlighted that Kyra to have a sustainable model, um, Stallions to a degree have a sustainable model, but many of those clubs that you highlighted did not have sustainable models. And ultimately, they're not with us anymore. So what's your sort of take on, on that sort of sustainability factor, which is something that we talked about a lot on, on, on the show? Yeah, I, I remember that article. I think the title was, you can win without spending big. If I remember correctly, because your opponents that time were Davao. Yeah. Now Davao Aguilas. The opposite. And yeah, so, so basically, they, the, the, the roster, if you look at it top down, it was really just a who's who of, uh, of Philippine football players at that time. You got the young husband brothers and, and, and the others. So, and obviously, they were not really coming on at a cheap price. So basically, they were assembled just to win, almost like the Avengers, if you want to put it that way. And, and, and you look at Kaya, um, I'll, I'll tell this story. So uh, it, it's not really relevant to the football per se, but it gives you a glimpse of maybe how uh, Santi Araneta, the, the, the owner, uh, and a glimpse to, to his thoughts as well. So he, he was, he was, I was telling him 2011, I think, you know, boss, you got to change that clock over there in Rizal because it's stuck in 1225 for the longest time. You know, the big clock there on the, on the left side, right? And he said, you know what? I'm not going to spend on that because there are people who can spend that. Let's, let's all share the burden. Let's all, let's all chip in. So in, in that moment, I, I thought to myself, all right, this is a guy. Yes, he has money, but he's also prudent in spending it because if you are, you know, he can basically afford to give uh, a result 10 new clocks. But, but you know, he, he's not that type of guy to do that. So I think it translates also as well to how maybe he runs the club. And, and this also goes to the conversations with, with your manager, uh, Paul. Uh, Paul and Justin before. Um, I was telling him, you know, boss, you got you to gotta spend. You got to bring players in because this was a day, this was a time wherein I think Ceres was, Ceres was coming in and bringing a lot of players, foreign-based players. Uh, certainly, Davao came in as well. And Global at that time was also spending big. So I told him, you know, you got you to gotta spend. Maybe half just maybe, um, how do you say kanchao in, in English? Maybe half, you know, I can kanchao ko telling him, you know, you, you have to spend. And he was saying, you know, we're, we're, we can spend maybe, but we're not that kind of club. So when, going back to when Kaya won the... Paulino Alcantara Cup, Copa Paulino Alcantara. With that one, with that sort of a model, it was sort of like a victory for, it wasn't really the little guys because Kai is not a small little club, but it's more like um, winning, quote unquote, the right way. And this is not a, a front on the likes, on the big teams to spend big because you can do that way. It's your prerogative that's how you model your, your club. That's how you think you'll win. And you have, you know, look at the clubs domestically who've won. It's generally those who've spent big. But that's their prerogative. But to, when Kaya won it, I guess it was, a part of me was rooting for Kaya because it was a victory essentially for the guys who did it that way. I wouldn't call it the right way because it would mean that the other team did it the wrong way. But it's like there's a way of doing it without breaking the bank. 
That's what I'm trying to say. Do you think a lot of the clubs should have received assistance from, whether it be the Federation, whether it be from AFC, uh, FIFA, whatever, because that's something that we talked about a lot, Gene, wasn't it, on one of our episodes right after um, Ceres had announced that they had folded and Nate Berkey came on the show and we were talking about this also. Um, you know, sustainability is something that we've been preaching for a long time and long before the Ceres situation in, in you know in quiet corners that we had in conversations amongst ourselves even we we, we realized that this wasn't going to be um you know feasible for people long term it just you know it was only a matter of time before a lot of these clubs were were going to fold because you know the wheels were coming off the tracks you know long long before they did for many of these clubs do, do you think somewhere along the line there should have been perhaps some some interjection from some of these governing bodies or do you think maybe the league should have incorporated some sort of you know, cap system or again is this just us talking in hindsight with, with 2020 vision yeah with, with the with the salary cap i don't think it's it's gonna work um you talk about the pda for example with a salary cap in place i'm not too sure if that's being followed to the letter of the law um, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm not sure. Let's put it out there. But if you bracket a certain amount of money under one game bonuses, that's, that's, you know, that's <laughs> not included in the salary cap. But to, the other question would have been, you're, you're asking about if um, subsidies from PFF, for example, would it be enough? It's never going to be enough because you, you want to attract players of high, high quality players coming in, there's never going to be enough money. Always, there's going to be another better player with another higher salary. And again, not to say that Davos model or Ceres model uh, is wrong because they were essentially assembled to compete in, in, in Asia, in the AFC Cup. That roster, um, I think... I wouldn't say they would have easily won the PFL, but that roster was thought of as someone who can compete with the Burirams, with, with all their Asian Cup teams. So I guess it's their prerogative. My question, Ryan, is you say it's not the right way. It's not the wrong way to do it, rather. But none of those teams exist anymore. Right? I mean, we're talking about Global, Davao, and Ceres. None of those teams exist anymore. And Global hasn't existed in, in the way it did for a few years now. So when you say, is it the right way or is it the wrong way? If you don't exist, doesn't that mean you're wrong? If you put it that way, but the funny thing is that you, you, you write these articles and you get a lot of feedback as well. And one of the things that, that was written to me, was, was said, said to me, was that it could also have been Kaya and Stallion, which, which my response was exactly what you said, because they're still here and the other teams are not here anymore. Um, it's difficult to say, Jane, because yeah, on one hand, you're right. But on the other hand, in the example of Ceres, they won the 2017 zonal ASEAN. Right. Uh, so if if things if there was for example in another time there's no COVID they're still here they're still gonna be winning right uh, not necessarily 
AFC Cups or, or leagues, but they'll still be there competing and challenging for titles. So, yeah, so where, I, is, where is the glory in that? You know, like, I, I, get, I, I think for me, like the Serres one is, is, is probably the one where it's, you can accept them. You know, I can accept what they did because they were successful. They had assembled the best team this, this country has ever seen. Um, they, they really put Philippine football on the map and particularly Bacolod on the map, which I think is obviously what um, the ownership's mandate from the get-go was to do that. And I think they did that. Um, I think with the COVID situation not coming to play, then I think they would still be around. So I think that's, you know, they did have their woes, but I think a lot of that was kind of off the field stuff, not necessarily anything to do with the football element that caused that particular issue. You know, the other two were, were certainly football related um, were issues. So um, it, 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 it definitely is a shame. I mean, we got a few, we got a few abusive messages after we, we announced that, you know, saying it was a bit Kaya centric, you know, um, where we sort of had the, 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 the podcast that was talking about, is this the death of Philippine football, which we had to retract a little bit because people thought that was a little bit of a too, too strong of a, of a, head, a headline. But, but no, I, I do think that people need to see that and it needs to scare people into realising that um, you know, clubs need to, to be responsible you know, and be prudent, which is the word that you use, be prudent in, in how they manage their organisations. And I think you highlighted a couple of them in, in, in your article, and we talked about Anton's team, Mahalika, you know, that you, you talked about them and, and obviously what platform they're trying to operate on. I think you even mentioned, you know, some of the noise coming out of UCFC um, seems to be pointing towards a more sustainable um, business model. Is that something that you foresee moving forward now? Is, is clubs operating on that sort of more prudent, more manageable basis? For sure, Chris, for sure. Um, I think if, if clubs don't do that kind of uh, model, they wouldn't have learned anything from the last <laughs> how many years, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it would be folly not to do it. So, but I think in the case of Ceres, I think they really wanted to compete. And as you said, put Pakolod on the map in the AFC uh, stage. That's what prompted them to bring in um, you know, and spend a lot of money. But going forward, I think it's really not going to be sustainable. And, and I, I, one thing I wrote in the article was the, the sort of the, the pipeline of um, young players. And again, at the, at the risk of sounding very Kaya-centric here, um, I remember in the time of uh, David Perkovich when he was still the head coach, uh, one of the things he said to me as he left the country was how proud, A, number one, of how proud he was of having uh, uh, Kaya players in the Ascals. And number two, of having promoted youth team players to the squad, uh, which we don't really see uh, too often from other teams. I don't know if uh, other teams have done it. I don't know if Kaya has youth uh, players. Sai Jing would probably be the one to answer. But it would be a, a, a good uh, thing to have, not just in terms of sustainability, but also because you can now have things that these players can aim for. I think Chris would be a better person to add to that, actually. Um, were you expecting any uh, academy members to, to, to pop in into the CJ team sometime soon, Chris? Well, obviously, when we had the, the WFL uh, team that would, that, was, that would compete as Kaya B, we had a, a stronger pipeline of guys 
in that sort of 18 to 22 age bracket, which meant when they were off season from their colleges, they could go and participate in the UFL, for example, which is where we saw quite a few guys at 15, 16 years old, actually even still in high school, sorry. Um, they were coming up and playing in, in the men's team in various competitions. So I think those days are gone a little bit now just because of the structure of the competition, how it is now, um, so, which is a little bit of a shame. Um, and the fact that that team no longer exists within our, within our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still had, we've got a pretty good track record of acquiring good young talent who we've identified through the collegiate networks. I mean, I mean, you did a nice article um, even today on, on a video of some of the guys who come through the pipeline. So yeah. you know, people like Armita, um, who's come obviously not through Kaya's system, but have come through the, the Philippine local system. Uh, Eric went through um, a lot of... Eric Giganto, obviously, yeah. so, so, same school and then um you know, look at the Menzi brothers they were with our Kaya B team from many years ago so they were they had been within our organization for at least two three years before they made their their debuts with with the men's team I think the structure needs to be to be tweaked um and maybe there should be some allowances for NCAA and UAP players to be able to participate in in the professional game whether that's going to happen anytime soon I think you're going to open up a lot of um uh, a lot of issues for other sports, maybe basketball, if we start to do things like that. But I think that would be the best way in order to get some of the um, top college players into the pro game. But obviously, the ADT is a setup that's kind of hopefully earmarked to to be that bridge between the collegiate game and the pro game. Um, but I, I think you know the kids that are with me in my academy from when I first came at eight, nine years old. Those kids are now fourteen, fifteen years old, yeah. and they're coming. You know, they're coming and they're ready. Whether or not they're going to do their business here, that remains to be seen just because of the, the current state of the domestic league. Um, you know, maybe they apply their trade abroad. I mean, you look at the likes of uh, Mark Winhofer, for example, who played in the men's league here when he was 15, 16. He's now playing in, in the US in the collegiate system at Yale, getting a great degree and obviously playing at a pretty good standard. I think you'll see more and more kids go down that route rather than perhaps try to put all their chips on the table for a pro career in, in the Philippines because they probably don't see that as a viable career option. Whereas maybe, you know, five, six years ago, it looked like it was an option. You know, there, there was, there was people like Stefan Schrock coming over here from, you know, the Bundesliga wanting to, to, to play his, um, I don't want to say twilight years because he's, he's still playing. So, um, you know, but play his, his, his later, later years in, in professional football here in the Philippines. So it seemed like it was a viable option then, whether it is now, I mean, that will depend on how the league operates in the next couple of years, whether or not you'll see people willing to, you know, to double down on a pro career here in the Philippines. But there's certainly a lot of good young players in the pipeline here at our club. And, and you would have seen it, Ryan, when you go down to Alabang Country Club. There's a lot of really, really talented kids out there in the Philippines. And I just hope that there is a platform and an outlet for those kids to continue to develop um, as we move forward. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. go, ahead, go ahead, actually, Ryan. And with the PFL having this bit more structure, I think the, the, the pipeline is there. Um, I, I guess it's really an incentive now. Going back to that article, the, the winning the right way, I think it's an incentive right there. And it's, it's also like um, if Kaya could do it, you know, beating an expensively assembled squad, then we can do it as well. And, you know, there's hope for that kind of uh, way of winning things? I suppose it's like 
how do you judge success, right? What is your measure of success? Is it trophies? Because if it's just trophies and getting in at the soonest possible time, you can throw a lot of money at it. And that seems to be the, the, the model that has worked. Over the last 10 years, the, 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 the teams and clubs that have taken all the silverware are the clubs that took that model. And that's, there's no way to hide from that. You know, they, they, they threw money at the problem and they want it. Um, but sustainability becomes the, the, the real question there. And those guys are not around anymore. So, you know, when you look at the record books, has Kaya been successful over the last 10 years? They picked up a couple of trophies. They played in, in some AFC Cup campaigns and perhaps didn't progress to the level that, that, that Saras has. But if you're measuring success based on sustainability and bringing youth um, through, uh, talented, homegrown players through into the professional league and exposing them to the agent stage, then you would say they, they've been successful in that. You know? So it's, it's, I guess it's, it, it, it's a matter of how you base what is your measure of success, right? Um, it, and as you said, if, if, if it's also able to get a little bit of success, then it becomes a little bit more enticing perhaps for other people to follow the model um, because it's yielding both, right? Progress, development, sustainability, and your trophies as well so maybe maybe it becomes more of a, a thing down the road you know because if if, if a team likes Ceres who as we said if there was no COVID would never go under right their business was making a lot of money so there was no problem bringing in top-notch players paying huge salaries but I suppose it, it kind of shows the brittle nature the fragility of top level football as of the moment Right. And I believe that's one of the contentions as well with your article in that they're saying that there is no other structure as of this moment. There's only one single entity that owns a club. And if that single entity falls into some hard times, the club disappears. Right. How is that going to change down the road? Do you think, how do you foresee that perhaps becoming different because we are subject to the whims and, and, and fortunes of a few, a very small few, who believe in the game, who love the game, who want to see it thrive. But if something like a curveball like COVID happens again, wow, I mean, how do we stop that from happening, Ryan? That's a very difficult question to answer because if you look at the teams, not just in football, but also in the PBA as well, and they're exactly in more or less the same boat because... Kaya, of course, owned by LBC, Santi Araneta, Stallion, uh, Ernie Nieras, and Mr. Alquiroz. So, so essentially not a corporation owning the club. And you talk about football, but talk about basketball as well. And essentially, it's basically the same thing. Talk about San Miguel Beer. Talk about um, MVP. other clubs. Well, MVP, yeah. So that's basically one entity. Not necessarily maybe one person, but it's one entity who owns the, the, the club. So it's never going to be an easy question to answer because if you look at Europe as well, say for Germany and the Bundesliga, the clubs as well are primarily, some of them are owned by, for Chelsea, for example, they're owned by one person. So it's difficult. Um, that being said, I, I like what where United City uh, now want to move forward because one of the things that they said in the press conference was that they will now want to avoid 
precisely what happened to Ceres in that if one single entity um, folded or didn't want to pursue anymore, United City Football Club will still be around. So I think that as to how they'll do it, I'm not too, too sure yet, but that statement I think is very important for people now looking at football, how they will move forward. Yeah. You know, it boggles my mind, actually, how you're going to make it sustainable, to be honest. Like, Chris, what, do you see any feasible way? I mean, a different structure, perhaps? I think Nate Berkey spoke a little bit about that. And following on for Ryan's comments about how they do it in the Bundesliga, where um, you know, a proportion of the, of the club is owned by the fans, isn't it? Mm. So um, people would subscribe to some sort of membership. They have ownership of the club. Um, and obviously they all get voting rights on, on how money's allocated, you know, how they spend money on, you know, a stand or uh, upgrading facilities, whatever it might be. And I think that's, that's one way in which you could foster some sort of ownership um, um, throughout an organization that was sustainable. But then of course, who's going to want to buy into a UCFC if they have no, you know, registered history. You know, they have um, no ties to a specific community as of right. as of yet. So these are the sorts of things I'm guessing they're going to have to iron out. Um, uh, would it would it be you know look at the sort of the MLS model where it's under a centralised organisation? So obviously funds are allocated by the governing body or by the league as a central pot, and then obviously the owners then top that up with their own personal funds. Um, you know that might be another model in which they do it. Um, Probably better, more business-minded people than, than <laughs> me will have some better, better ideas. But there are two things that have, three things, sorry, that have been that have been spoken about um, recently that I think on on the surface would have legs because, as as, as Ryan's alluded to, it's very whimsical. You know, the the, the setup at the moment. If if a guy decides I just don't fancy it anymore, or uh, I'm not, not too sure if I can afford to continue to pump my personal funds into this into this program. The club's gone. The club's gone. And we've already seen how difficult it is for someone to want to pick up the pieces of an organisation when someone doesn't want to pick up a club as promising as Serres. You know, I mean, you know, no one, no one was chomping at the ownership's arm, you know, to try and, oh, can I, oh, I would love to take, take ownership of your organisation. No one. You know, no one was doing that. So, um, you yeah, fortunately, we have someone who's picked up... Um, the um, what would you call it registration of the club and, and managed to keep some semblance of that organization alive, which is great because obviously we need we need that organization in whatever guise it comes in still still operational because it's, it's it's important to keep the league going. But um, I don't know, Jim, I don't know. I think there's a couple of ideas there, whether they have legs or not. I don't know, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. so. Yeah, but we're definitely at the mercy of, of, of a wealthy individual or, or individual organization and, and we better find a way to keep them sweet. Otherwise, we're going to have a few more clubs um, going down the drain fairly shortly. What we do know for sure, sorry to cut you off there, Ryan, is that we know the individuals who are invested in the game for real, mm -hmm. not for the attention, uh, for the attention that the football, um, you know, the success of the football industry brings, Right. And if we won in 2012 and 14, those individuals would have come out out of the woodwork. You know what I mean? They would have been all over the place trying to get a piece of this and that. But now the people who are still in the game after all the turmoil, these are the guys you know really want the best 
out of what football has to offer, right? So that, that I, I thought I just wanted to mention that. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I was about to say that maybe the people who are already owning uh, the clubs now, I think they will tolerate a certain amount of financial loss because it's what is their passion. That's what drives them. That they understand that they're not in this to make money. So they will tolerate a, a figure mm-hmm. of, of how many pesos, thousands of millions of pesos a year because it's, it's basically essentially like if I'm a fan of uh, buying watches. So I know I'm going to set aside X amount of money every year to buy watches because I like them, even if I have 10,000 other watches already. So the same thing with football as well. So the key there maybe is that you don't overextend now your losses. And by overextending, meaning you just spend beyond what you are already willing to lose. And that will happen if you bring in players who are above what you are, uh, the salary that the, you have to pay them is above what you're willing to spend. And that, I think, is where it gets a little bit iffy now. If you're the owner, I'm willing to lose this amount of money. Now I have to double it because I have to bring this player in. You know, that may be the case. But maybe I think sustainability, I think, is a word for today, Chris and Jay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the things on the, in the article, just... Uh, uh, quote that the, the last bit of your, the last paragraph it was, it was talking about hope you know I think the, the article talks a lot about some of the negative aspects that have occurred and I think it was quite a sobering outlook really on, on where we currently are um, within the domestic game but, but one of the things you put at the end of your article was was that you have hope you have hope for the domestic game you have hope for the Philippine football what are your hopes and dreams for, for the domestic game if, if we were to have this conversation again in five years or ten years time what, what do you hope the, the landscape of, of Philippine football would look like? Well, I, I guess it's always good to end with, uh, with hope, right? Because if you don't have hope, it's a bad thing, eh, Chris. So, I mean, five years down the road, 2025, I, I hope that the league is thriving. I hope that it's not going to be always a question of who's going to play in the league. Are we going to have enough numbers to make up for the AFC qualification? Are the players getting paid? So I hope that the league will have a set amount of teams that are there and continue want, continually want to join, continually want to, to participate in. And I hope that the fans are there with a journey because if... The, the, the players now are playing without fans in the stands, right? And the joke was, and I got this um, a joke in, in, through Viber. A lot of people messaged me so like saying, well, Philippine football uh, players know the feeling exactly of playing behind closed doors because there are hardly any fans in the stands. But I, I, I felt that was very harsh. But end of the day, I had to smile and laugh at, at the joke because in one way, it might be true as well because, you know, not, not a lot of people watching. So I hope that in, in five years' time, a lot of fans will be along for the ride because it's, it's a fun sport, you know. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but there's really a lot of, 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 of positives we can get as Filipinos from the sport. And I guess also maybe five years from now, is it too much to ask for the Astros to do well as well? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the, the 
fan of, uh, of every Filipino football fan, right? You, you talk about domestic matches having uh, fans in the stands, but if you talk about the Ascals and just look at the Sea Games last year, the, the fans were there to support in Rizal and in Binyan as well. So, and that was not even the Ascals A team. Granted, Strack was there, but you know, so the national team can can they do well as well? So, those are my my personal hopes. And maybe after five years in episode number, that should be around 300, right? Of the, across yeah. the line. Let, let, let's, let's, uh, let's put this in a time capsule and bring it back five years from now. Let's see how many of our hopes and dreams will come true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I agree, man. Like, you know, sustainability is the name of the game. I think... Um, it's going to be very interesting, man. If in five years from now, one thing that came to mind was that it would be very weird to be in this situation now to have the, the attention, um, perhaps that if we had won, the, the, the thing that I was thinking about was that if we had that extra attention, we wouldn't be here where we are now. And the situation where we find ourselves is that clubs find the need to be more sustainable. I think that's the lesson that we've gotten over the last 10 years. That's the main lesson. And I think clubs are now desperate to not put all the strain on their owners because there is inevitably a point where it's too much, where the loss is not going to be acceptable. So teams now, you mentioned Maharlika in your, in your, in your article, which was, was, which was key, was that they're not asking for any payments, no salaries, but the way they're putting out their, their content, the way that they're looking to connect to their community is an example of, what we will hopefully see more of down the road. If Maharlika is the newest team and we, they are setting an example for other teams to join, if they follow down that footstep, uh, th those footsteps, we're going to have a very exciting next few years on our hands because these are clubs that are not interested in, 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 in silverware, but in connecting, connecting with the community and, and, and showing the value of football and what it can bring to your life. And I think that's, that's the message. That should be the message for all the clubs. It's not about glory hunting because glory hunting only gets you so far. Um, and it's, it, it clearly doesn't lead to sustainable um, models of business. So I think Maharlika, if they can prove successful, would be very interesting. Um, for the next five years, when we, we come back, it'll be 10 teams, you know, all with their own identities, connected to communities. And, you know, it'll be a beautiful thing to see but key to that always is how do we get that emotional connection to the people right and that's where you come in right you know you and your articles you and your capability to, to commentate on games and to bring it to people that's that's key and jing i have a question i have I actually um i thought of this as we were talking if you talk about uh teams being sustainable uh it, it's almost like saying i won't sign the big name players i won't sign the um, uh, better quality players, which comes with it, with it uh, high, high, high price tag. Mm -hmm. But that now model, a sustainable model, may mean that while you are champions of the Philippine uh, Domestic League and you're now in the AFC Champions League, you may not be able to compete now with the likes of the other clubs. Now, are you willing, uh, Chris, maybe, to, to be in that position wherein, all right, I'm a sustainable club. I may, be, I may uh, heaven forbid, earn money 
from my my football club but i'm not going to be you know competitive in the afc cup is that something that you will want to compromise with my my perspective on this is is different because i've got the philippine football as it's in, as in, in its entirety at heart so if i've got their best interests at heart i would say people are going to have to forego um, their desire to want to be competitive at the AFC Champions League level, for sure. Mm. Because if they're going to be chasing being competitive at, at that level, that's going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of millions of pesos, right? So you're going to have to forego that. You're going to have to forego that in order to be sustainable over this, this window, this time frame. However long that might be, two, three, four, five years, whatever. For me as a, like as a coach, and if I was to come in and coach a team where the ambitions were simply to, you know, be competitive in a domestic six-team league, that would kill me inside. That would kill me inside mm. to know that you were going to go to a Jongbuk Motors or a Shanghai CPAC. And it's okay if we get beat 4-5-0. That's fine because we just want to sustain the league. You know, so that's where it becomes a little bit murky and a little bit difficult. But you certainly can't build something on the platforms that we've had previous because you know you might get the odd victory here or there on the continental stage but if you're not here in three or four years time then what's the point right now if you're if you're a head coach who's going to go and get another gig in another country do something you know go, go somewhere else then that's different if you're a foreign player and you come here just to pick up the, the paycheck okay that's fine but for me and i know again talk, talk about preaching to the choir and probably the majority of the listeners who, who do and viewers of this of this show, they're probably going to sit back and say, "Yeah, I think the same." You know, we'd be prepared to have a few years where we're not AFC Cup contenders. We're a few. You know, we we we'll take a couple of schlackens in in AFC Champions League over the next couple of years if we can get to the point where we're a ten team league again. If we can get to the point where fans are starting to come out and watch the games. If there is engagement in this in the in the communities. Um, that these clubs are involved in and just cultivating and fertilizing that ground. I think people will be willing to do that. I really do. Um, and then we can get to the stage where we have to win. We have to bring home trophies. We can get to that stage, but it has to be built up. It, has, it, it, it cannot be something that we try to do overnight by throwing a, a ton of money and, and building them on, on dodgy foundations because it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. One thing that's quite interesting that I wanted to, to touch on is that, you know, we don't know the effect of what Ceres has done to the youth, right? I mean, if you're a young man and you see them competing in winning zonal championships, like, we don't know what kind of effect that has on a young man in terms of his belief of what is possible, right? They might have broken or lady. some... Or lady. Yeah, 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 or lady. They might, they, they might have, you know, completely shattered limiting beliefs that would have existed if we gone through the the traditional approach i mean i just like playing devil's advocate you know i'm not really sitting on either side of the fence i just think it's an interesting conversation to have you know because they might have sacrificed hundreds of millions but we might come out with a few stars because of that you know a few individuals that might think that man i'm gonna invest all in from the age of 10 i'm gonna go all in on football because i saw serious go out there and, and and whoop home United, and that's it for me. My life has never been the same, right? We don't know. We don't know. We'll find out in 10 years' time who those individuals are, but 
Ryan's a pretty pushy parent, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, taking after Chris. <laughs> Don't think so. But I think we've been able to dissect the article and um, uh, completely. As we mentioned, we're extremely happy that you're back writing football, uh, Ryan. But it's been quite a journey for you so far, right? I mean, from from joining a contest to to making your way here to uh, across the line, there's been a lot in between of that. <laughs> there's been plenty of games that you've called, a lot of memorable moments, and fantastic articles that have caused you know uproar and 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 um, adulation from, from some of your readers. But what are some of the standout moments for you over the last ten years? Um, in your in your career in football, well, um, a lot of it uh, has been with you, Jing, because <laughs> you've yeah, I've been covering the game, and well, basically, I think just want to say that I think it's it's really a, a dream come true for any football fan because you talk about being a, f- uh, a fan of any sport in any country, and then the next day you're able now to talk to the people you watch on TV. You're able to get the thoughts of the people who you idolize on TV. And that's what, exactly what happened to me. Because in one moment, I was watching the Ascals uh, play in the Suzuki Cup 2010. And the next month, I was there interviewing the very same people who I saw play. And in the third month after that, people started following me on Twitter. So that's got to be you know, the highlight of any, any sport, any, any fan of any sport. So I think it's been quite a very remarkable journey. But I guess one of the things that, um, that I take away personally is that you are able to not really educate, but give a little bit more of your insight to the people who probably are not uh, too familiar with the game. And, and one story I, I always uh, tell people is that, remember in, in, in TV5, we our thrust was always to speak in Taglish when we do the games. And it's not very easy for some people. Oh, I recall. Because, <laughs> because you, you have to have these certain Tagalog words there. And I, I know why, because after a few months of doing that, um, one person came over, a parent came over and said, you know what? I caught my house help watching the... Bundesliga, I think it was, uh, that you were doing in Taglish. And he, she understood what was happening better because you were speaking Tagalog. So it's those small things that you take solace from that, okay, maybe uh, I, what I'm doing here, trying to promote the game here in the country, is not going for naught. You know? So these are the things that I think I take away. Um, aside from, of course, calling the games, which are really fun. And, you know, being able to, in a certain way, not really influence, but another takeaway I I, I had was you you get to speak to the personalities involved in the game. So one story was when Stallion had had this this, uh, run of League and Cup double, double. It was 2000. I don't know, 14, 13, I think, when Rufo Sanchez and Waco. 2014, right, Chris? 13. 13. 13. So, in that one of the games after the post match uh, press conference, uh, Coach Ernie Nieras, he actually had uh, a pair of mismatching shoes 
on because one of his shoes got wet. So I told him, you know, coach, I, I think that's your lucky charm. That was, I think, in the group stages. That's your lucky charm. I said on air, we were interviewing him on air and told him, coach, that's uh, your lucky charm. You better not change that. You better keep on wearing mismatching shoes until you win the final. The final. And that's what he did. He, 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 he wore the uh, different pairs of shoes. I think it was an excuse also to, for him to show off his shoe collection. But, but he wore mismatching shoes all the way until the final. And in the final, we, we talked about it again on air. And he was saying, you know, thanks, I mean, not really thanks to me, but, you know, because he said, I do it, I'll do it. So these very small things, if you're coming from point of view as a fan, and suddenly you're able to talk to the title-winning coaches and then telling them what to wear and, you know, probably winning it, the cup in the process. I think it, it, it just, uh, it just, Warms the heart for me personally. Mababaw, no? It's, it, I don't know if Chris understands it, but it's very, very shallow, that level. But, you know, that, that's, that's what makes me happy, I guess. Incredible, man. Like, I have known you for, for nine years, and, and I've only learned some of these things today, you know? And it makes me appreciate your journey even that, that much more, you know, that um, you're truly a fan of the game. And now you find yourself immersed in it every day, uh, for how many years, and um, you've been a tremendous asset to to the to the entire community, as well. You know, and it's funny how that works out. You know, it, it's it's crazy how the how these things work, but it's it's cool to have you here now to to talk about your whole journey. And Chris, is there anything else you wanted to add? Anything you wanted to ask Ryan here before we let him go? No, I think I think you summarized it really well. I didn't know half of those things about how you got started. I just assumed you were just another really good journalist, but. Um, I think we, we talked about the different journalists on, on the show. You know, we've had, when I first came to lead, there were so many different journalists writing different types of, um, of articles. Yeah. Yeah. Bob's and his, and his crazy April fools uh, articles that, uh, you know, used to get people's backs up, but used to get people talking about, you know, talking about the game or to Rick, um, you know, Oliver would have his controversial, um, statements. Adelf obviously, you know, would be reported on games, but your articles are always ones that I really look forward to reading. I, I thought they were really insightful. Um, I rarely disagreed with them, which is quite rare for me. I normally have to find a way to disagree with almost every article that a journalist writes. Um, I always thought they were on the money. I always thought that they, you, you had your finger on the pulse with whatever issue or whatever uh, topic you were discussing. I always felt that you had. Um, your finger on the pulse with, with those things. And that for me, I think separated you from other journalists. And um, like I said, you know, you, you're often, you're in a room of people who I don't think really took time to understand the nuances of the individual game or the game at large. Um, but you were part of that very small group of journalists that I think were really keen to not only uh, invest your time and energy in getting to know the individuals but also in trying to better um, your own knowledge of the game as well as then being able to interpret that and then spread your your knowledge throughout the football community so for that I'm I'm, I'm really thankful because obviously this is this is one of the reasons why Jig and I do this podcast because we think that it's something that's not really out there for the Philippine football public it, it's something that is is needed um, in order to educate um and try to give like a different side to the story, um, which I felt you always did with your articles. So it, it's really good that you've agreed to come on because I've asked you before and you've always been a bit shy. Um, I think now is now is a good timing since you, you came back to 
um, the hearts and minds of everyone with a big punch today with your article. And um, I'm just really thankful that you're back um, and writing stuff because I, for one, always look forward to, to reading your stuff. It's always top-notch journalism. Thank you, Chris, for the very kind words. It's, uh, you know, Jing is very rare for Chris to speak glowingly about uh, any person, particularly about me. So I'll take it any time of the day. But, but I'd like to add to what uh, Chris said. You know, it's, it's never easy to write things that may ruffle a few feathers here and there. Um, I, I, it's um, maybe to, just to summarize, um, I, I didn't finish journalism. Strangely enough, I finished engineering. So it's really, it's really not uh, something I, I studied. But I guess I would describe myself perhaps as someone who, who just writes uh, truthfully and what I see, I write what I see. And in the process of doing that, you sometimes get to ruffle a lot of feathers. And there's a very, very fine line in doing that. On the one hand, you don't want to burn your, your sources of information. But on the other hand, you don't want to shortchange now your readers in thinking that, oh, he's selling out because he, he's uh, beholden to anyone. So there, there's a fine line in that. And I guess if, if you thread that line uh, well, you'll get to have the best of both worlds in that your sources, the people you talk to, the people who give you your scoops, trust you enough that you won't break that trust. And on the other hand, the readers now will know that, yeah, you, you, know, you have your opinions, but you'll not hold back on certain things, especially when it's public knowledge, but no one says anything about it. And mm. through the years, Jing, you know, you know a lot of issues like that, that everyone knows it's there, everyone knows it's happening, but no one's writing about it because they might ruffle a few feathers. Who will now be their sources? Who will not now not give any more information? So there's a very, very fine line in that. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm treading it very, very well. But what I, what I do say is that it's something I hope to be able to do continually because I think it's the, both sides deserve it. The fans, of course, deserve to know what's happening. And, of course, you have the other side, the players and the stakeholders who, who, who number one, have to be accountable for their actions. Number two, who maybe want their side uh, spoken to as well. But maybe you just have to filter everything properly in the right context. So all these things, Jing, I don't know if I made sense, but that's what I'm trying to do. I w I've always appreciated that about you, Ryan. Um, you know, you, you speak your mind, you choose your words well, you try to be as politically correct or as nice as possible, but you speak your mind on and off the mic and to the individuals that matter. So I, I felt like you called it the way you saw it and you could never fault in anybody for, see for calling it the way they saw it. You may disagree with it, but it's the way they saw it. So, you know, it, you, you have to respect that, that somebody is willing to put themselves out on a limb for, for what they thought and what they believe. And I always respected that about you. And, and people might not know this, but you're a successful businessman. You got a full-time job. You've got a family. You've got things to do. But you devote your time to football. You find time to call matches, to write games, to read. To, sometimes, you, sometimes you come to just watch for fun. You know, and people don't 
necessarily see that side. They think Ryan is a, is a football guy, he's a correspondent, he's a journalist. No, he's got other things. This is his passion. And um, it, it, it shows in your work that you're not doing this for a paycheck. You know, you're doing it because, as you mentioned, it is, is something that you're very passionate about. Um, you wouldn't be joining contests if you weren't, you know what I mean? Um, for a photocopy of the team sheet of the Ascals team in 2010, that is outrageous. Um, but that's who you are. And, and you're an asset to the Philippine football community because of that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have been able to work with you over the last eight, nine years. And to not only share the microphone and to share, you know, these games with you and to work with you, but, you know, to, to the car rides home, man, the conversations, the, 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 the meals that we had after these games, uh, the conversations that we've had. I appreciate all of that, man. And it's, it's nice to be able to chat with you again. It, it's been a while. It has, it has. I'd just like to add maybe, um, I, I'm not sure if, if that's a plus thing for me because um, I don't know if, if someone said it before that if you're in this for the money, it's not going to give you a lot of money as well, right? So if you are in it for the money, sometimes it just clouds everything. I don't, I don't want to say I have nothing to lose, but if you're writing from a perspective that I don't, Really, I'm, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm not doing this for the, the writer's fee or the, the talent fee. Maybe I think the output comes out a little bit genuine, I think. I think that's the key, I think. Because if you're writing it and thinking, if I ruffle this guy's feathers, I might not be able to get another thing from him. Ergo, my salary might be compromised. That's when maybe uh, things get a little iffy. But if, if you're not there primarily for the money, I think that's when you can be most true to what, what you want to be. I think that's the right word. I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. And I think that's where a lot of people are put in a tricky spot. When your entire livelihood depends on the paycheck that football industry provides you, it's not as easy to open your mouth. And, and be critical of certain individuals. And that's just the nature of the game, unfortunately. You know? And that's not just the football community. That's, that's everywhere. So, but you, you, you get your, your, your income elsewhere. So that's lucky for you. You get an opportunity to be, yeah, as you said, more genuine, more truthful. And, and we're lucky for that. Extremely lucky. Uh, Chris, anything else that you'd like to ask Chris, uh, Ryan Phoenix here before we let him go? You know, I, I, I called you Phoenix for the longest time in my, in my mind, but whose is that? Who, is that yours, Chris? It is. Can you not trust broadcast that just in case there's any credit, credit card um, you know, fraud for people <laughs> watching the, uh, the episode? But uh, yeah, obviously, you know, like most people, pride of place, they have nice signed shirts. Where, where is this? In your, in your office, bedroom? No, where, where this bathroom. Oh. Only when I talk to you, when, I, when we finish it, put it down again. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, it's just folded up under, under, the, under a desk somewhere, back of the closet. But yeah, but just to finish, this is one of my treasured possessions because this was actually a signed shirt by the Ascals team in 2010. And I think this video is being showed, right? Yeah, so yeah. If, I, if I flip this over, you'll see a lot of signatures on the back. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of... Where a lot of scrolling says Niels, and that's mm -hmm. piece. James, James, yeah. Uh, Robs. This, this is Simon. Mm, yeah. 
Young man, that is here. Chief is here. It's going to be difficult to get his signature now, right? Uh, Ali is here. Oh, I think got, Jason the Young is here. You've got Haugan, Peter Haugan. Is yeah. that Haugan? Haugan is here, yeah. So why yeah, is mine on yeah. the front? Why is mine on the front? Because one day I know you'll have a podcast and I just need you to invite me over. You should be in front. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Next level thinking. That's why you're special, Ryan. So much foresight. <laughs> no, it's been tremendous catching up with you, Ryan. And you have an open invitation to come on the show at any time. Of course, your schedule permitting. You know, it's, it's difficult to get you out of the woods these days. But if you're free, if you want to talk, let us know. And you've got an open invitation on the show. Ryan Phoenix, folks, if you enjoyed this conversation with the man himself, Please do subscribe to YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And that is it for us on this Football Friday. We look forward to catching you on the next one.